folks. We're back with yet another episode of Going for Two. That's the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm the publisher of that newsletter, the host of this podcast, Matt Brown. I'm joined here, as always, by my friend and co-host, Brian Fisher. We are continuing our conference, state state of the conference previews. So not exactly conference previews, because uh, this isn't really the podcast. I don't really write a publication that's going to tell you who's going to finish third in the Mountain West. But we we are a podcast. We are a publication that that can dig into the, the higher level. Uh, view of what's happening with some of these conferences here. And and today, we want to talk about some of the, the not-so-power conferences, because there's some pretty interesting stories coming into this season for those, huh? A ton of interesting stories. Not just everybody kind of coming back into a full college football season, but that there's there's a lot at stake for a lot of these schools, not only in, in terms of the, the 2021 season, but you have realignment circling over the heads of, of just about everybody that we know that's going to filter down to other levels. We have athletic directors on the move, coaches uh, likely on the move at the end of the season. The, the group of five is just so interesting, and, and it's such a wide swath of and not just college football, but American sports. You know, you have small schools that, that are making do, small private schools that are, you know, punching above their weight. You have uh, large public schools that, that are trying to take that next step, not only athletically, but academically as well. So the, the group of five, I know it's some fans don't like that term, but but I just like the, the entire concept of, of everybody in this one group because it, it's such a diverse and, and, and really interesting group uh, of schools that we're going to be talking about uh, with Chris today. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that what you're describing is basically a bedrock foundation foundational like principle of of extra points um i'm fascinated by how very different kinds of schools try to achieve different kinds of goals and if you look at the g5 group that includes service academies it includes large private universities that are religious it includes some of the largest schools in the entire country that are that are residential it includes some of the smallest countries big metro urban schools tiny rural private schools um and to kind of paint over them with a broad brush can be a real challenge so I'm happy to talk, bring in my buddy Chris Vanini, who's an old colleague of mine from Vox Media many moons ago. Now he covers the G5 for The Athletic uh, and who knows a lot of these schools better than almost anybody else. So we're happy to bring him in here and, and chat a little bit about the state of the G5. Well, I want to start with maybe a more existential question, because I, I remember right when you first got your, your job at The Athletic. And, and uh, as to the, the G5 reporter, and I remember talking with some of my colleagues at SB Nation because I'd actually pushed for a similar position on our desk. And there was this, but the pushback was, I don't really know if you could do that because I don't know if G5 is really an identity. And I don't know if fans have interest in G5 programs across schools. It's not really the same lineup as like the Pac-12 or the SEC. And now over the past couple of years with all of this enormous uh, change coming to college athletics, I'm wondering, what, from what you've seen, is there a uniform G5 identity? Do schools or fans care about what happens at the other G5 schools? Or is is this still just the kind of, uh, you know, the designation we just give everybody else that's not in the power conference? Yeah, they, they care about each other in different ways. And, and when Stuart Mandel first came to me with the idea of the job, I thought it was really interesting. And I thought there was a lot of potential because... Um, it's a lot easier to talk to people. At oh, schools. sure. <laughs> That's why I do <laughs> it <frankly>. too. <laughs> and, and I remember talking to Andy Staples before he joined us. And he said, he told Stu that he thought that was the best decision that they had made uh, was to hire somebody to cover the group of five. Cause when the athletics started, that's what we had focused on was underserved markets. We went big on hockey. We went big on uh, baseball and college football, college basketball. 
and specific into mid-majors group of five. So in the now it's been four years since there is definitely an identity from place to place. It's it's been I think the base indicator of that is when the the Bob Bowlesby letter came out about ESPN allegedly influencing the American to try to grab Big 12 schools. American fans were fired up about that. All of a sudden, they were all like, yeah, we're going to be the King League. We're all in this together. Mike Oresko is awesome. <laughs> and and we're going to kill the Big 12. So there, there was that there. There's infighting between the leagues. Mountain West fans and American fans hate each other. They argue over who has the better league. Sunbelt and Conference USA fans do the same thing, especially because of a comment that former Louisiana Tech AD Tommy McClellan yeah. made saying that Conference USA was essentially better. That set Sunbelt fans off. So there's definitely a lot of inter-fighting. At the end of the day, Group of Five as a whole, they like it, but they're also competing against each other. American Twitter really is a thing. I, I, I don't think I expected yes. that when I launched Extra Points and, and I, I steered into it a little bit. And then like, oh, expect, I mean, like we've joked about like Central Florida Twitter, the, the, the fan base that's invented the moon. UCF Twitter, don't call them Central okay. well, Florida. Well, look, if you if you have any complaints, they're gonna they're gonna cut at Brian. They're gonna at come Brian. at you for that. I, I'm not I'm not interested. I have most of them <laughs> muted at this point. The only, only fan base that I do, but but yeah, fans of the American as an entity uh, are are very much a thing on social media. Even more so, I think than there are Big Ten fans. Like you know, you and I were both from Big Ten country. I, I would have never thought to identify myself as a fan of the Big Ten. I'm a fan of a Big Ten school. Yeah. But I've seen people in the American do this. The, and you touched on something that is one of the other more interesting G5 subplots over these past couple of seasons. Because I think when you and I you know, started really following college football, and certainly as we started doing this professionally, Conference USA, I think, was seen as the more prestigious, more financially uh, valuable, better college football conference, if not college sports conference generally. And if we're looking at this just from a college football perspective, I think over the past couple of years, it's it's almost indisputable that the Sun Belt is better. There's going to be multiple Sun Belt teams ranked or close to ranked this season. Um, they, they some of they're going to be in, in conversation for the G5 bid. They just signed a new deal with with, with ESPN or an extension of their deal with ESPN Plus. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective. I'm one. Do you think that that's accurate? And do you think that that's sustainable or something that was that you know either league could really take credit for, or is this just look? A couple of Sunbelt teams got the hot hand with the right coach, and in four years, things could look different. Well, it goes back a, a decade ago when realignment happened and Conference USA raided the Sunbelt. They took North Texas. They took the Florida schools. They took uh, a number of teams trying to go after markets because that's what everybody was into 10 years ago. And Carl Benson, the Sunbelt AD at the time, I talked to him a couple weeks ago, um, he had already done that a 15 years prior with the whack when they exploded to 16 teams, they went for big markets and it blew up. It fell apart. So when he was with the Sun Belt and they got raided by conference USA, he turned to teams that were successful and had fan bases, Appalachian state, Georgia Southern, most notably, and they kicked out Idaho and New Mexico state, which was still wild to think about that. That was the thing. And the result is the Sun Belt is pretty tight geographically. You can bus to to certain schools in certain places other than maybe Texas State. And now their TV deal is better. They, they have a better TV deal than Conference USA. And you get the right coaches in the right spots. You have two top 25 teams, preseason top 25 teams. Two years ago, 
the Sunbelt got its first ever top 25 team in App State. They'd never had a top 25 team. Now they've got two in the preseason. So that, that league has really come a long way, and it's done so on the back of uh, football programs that have some tradition there. I saw I saw that you were at American Media Days kind of earlier in the in the month, and and you mentioned Bob Bowlesby in in the meeting, and it seems like everybody is a little bit on edge with realignment, especially at at the Group of Five level. Are our schools kind of nervous about what the future holds for them, uh, given that we could see a bit of a reorganization uh, at the Group of Five level after Oklahoma and Texas eventually move to the SEC? Yeah, it's. I mean, first everybody's waiting for the Big Twelve. Every group of five team will take a Big 12 offer if it comes. They're, they're hoping the Big 12 stays together and expands um, and will come grab them if you're Cincinnati, UCF, whoever. Uh, anybody will jump to that. If they take – and then the trickle down becomes if the Big 12 does stay together, expand, add some American teams – just about everybody outside of maybe the Mountain West is going to want to jump into the American. If you're a Conference USA, you want to move up. If you're in the Sun Belt, you want to move up because there's going to be more money there and more, probably more sustainability in, 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 in a larger safety net there. So everybody's just kind of waiting. You've got everybody trying to figure out if they can get into the Big 12, being like, hey, reaching out to whoever they can in the league, trying to, trying to make their case. Um, so that's where it really stands right now, as opposed to jumping within conferences. It's not much other than the trickle down of Big 12, American, everybody else. Speaking of that, of that trickle situation, before that, when everything happened with the Big 12, um, I, I want to say this was even before the pandemic, even though like my sense of time has been completely blown apart. But, th- but there were some there were some. Uh, a real movement. It appeared to Boise State potentially leaving the Mountain West, either going to the American or potentially going independent and parking their, their their sports elsewhere. Some of that was tied to how the Mountain West responded to the pandemic. Some of that was tied to frustration over distribution of television revenue. And I'm wondering if, if these are conflicts that can ever really be reconciled. Because I look at this league and that relationship between Boise and everybody else, and it reminds me a little bit on a smaller scale of the Texas Oklahoma situation, even within the Big Twelve, where you have one more marketable, more powerful team, can they patch things up and live happily ever after, or is this? Are we going to be doing the same thing every two years for forever? Yeah, it's interesting because the Mountain West makes this new TV deal a year or so ago, and they were going to take away, they were going to phase out the money that Boise State was getting separately with ESPN and. Boise State, I think, threatened they, to sue. They did. I, 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 I saw the paperwork. They yeah. filed motions. There were, yeah. there were, there were PDFs. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and and so you know, other schools in the league are are still frustrated that Boise gets that special status. But you know, I was at Mountain West Media Days, and I talked to people at Boise. You talked to Craig Tops, the commissioner, and and they they are pretty. At least they're putting on the face that everything is better now. They have a new coach. They have a yeah. new AD. There's some different people involved there. Um, and with, with the American thing, obviously there were those emails about Brian Harson really trying to get them to, to move to the American. He was, he's been frustrated that the mountain West hasn't promoted Boise the way, you know, Mike Oresco goes to bat for all the teams in the American, but that kind of died down. And then the reveal of the 12 team playoff really, I think slowed down even more because then at that point there was a lot less incentive to jump to the American. It's now 
much easier for Boise State to make. And you're seeing that in the way they're doing their scheduling. They're they're taking away some some of the bigger games that they had scheduled in the future to to set up some maybe play one power five team instead of two and stuff like that because they realize hey if they're eleven and one they could be in that mix for a twelve team playoff. So that was before the Texas Oklahoma news happened, yeah. and now I'm sure Boise would love to go to the Big Twelve just like everybody else. But as it relates to Boise in the in the Mountain West, things seem to have cooled off kind of in 2021. That 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 the 12 the the the, the variable structure with the 12 team playoff if and whenever that actually ends up coming to pass. That 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 does make sense. That maybe maybe then there's more of an argument for being a proverbial big fish in a small pond than joining all of the other big fish in like the biggest mid-major pond where you could be a really good team and go nine and three. Might, might, might be better to go whoop up on New Mexico and, and have a slightly easier path, which is what they want anyway. Okay. Um, part of the reason that, that the Boise State uh, Mountain West saga is more interesting to me is because we, we've also kind of seen this play out a little bit. I, I, God bless Craig Thompson for um, never being afraid to talk about potential realignment in public. Uh, I, I feel like this is the conference where we learn more about some of their almost moves uh, than maybe with a couple other leagues. And we've also seen teams kind of outgrow or leave the, the Mountain West before. We saw it with Utah. We saw it with TCU. We, we saw it most recently with BYU that left in part over uh, television disagreements and television structure. Now, you know, they, they're, they're, BYU has been, been an independent here for the past couple of years. They had a great season last year and should be pretty decent this year, albeit with a much more difficult schedule. This is something that I know is a big, um, touchy subject with many BYU fans in my life and that I talk to. Are they a G5 team? What what, what even do we categorize them at this point? To, as the G5 reporter, it's been very difficult to sometimes figure that out. To me, it sometimes depends on the schedule. Last year's schedule, they were a G5 team. This year's schedule, they play, what, seven or eight Power 5 teams? I, I, I think something like that. I mean, it's a Power 5 schedule, so you you kind of lean toward that way. I think, frankly, more than anything, it comes down to winning. If you're going 7-5, and five, no one's going to really think of you as a Power 5 team. If you're 10-2, and two, then we kind of think about it a bit more. Um, they're kind of in that weird middle ground uh, i mean the americans kind of separate from the rest of the g5 but it's still a g5 i think it just kind of comes down to who are they playing and what is it when i look at their schedule now unless i uh, uh, uh unless i'm screwing up the counting here they're playing seven power five teams this season and they're also yeah. playing boise state and which is you know yep as almost as close as you can get to uh, to, to another one. Yeah, Evan. I mean, like the, when when I when I say this, like, yeah, I mean, if you're not in a power conference, ergo, you're in a G5. It's well, what G, what what G5 league are we in? We're not we're not in the American. We're not in any of these other leagues. We're, we're clearly something else. And if you know, I don't know if you've been to their stadium or not. It's it's uh it's it's doesn't look like anything I've seen in the MAC. It doesn't look like anything I've seen in Conference USA. Their their facilities and their budget. But but you can also make some of those same arguments about Liberty. And I don't think anybody is saying that Liberty yep. is a peer. In Cincinnati, Cincinnati, sure, too. sure. I don't, G five plus. It, yep. it, 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 this is that's kind of right, it's kind of right. the tricky thing about this well, about this categorization in general, right? There's so many different kind of schools, right? There and there's a tier within the, the G five because I mean, when we talk about hey, if the American needs to add teams, who are they going to add? They're not just going to grab the best G five because they didn't expand when UConn left because there wasn't anybody uh, that they could get that was going to expand that 
TV deal. You know, do they do you? Okay, Appalachian State's been a really good team. Would Appalachian State fit in the American where every coach is making at least $1 million and every budget is like 35 million plus while App State, I think, is in the high teens maybe and they're paying their coach like 800,000? Like these these good Sunbelt teams or these good Conference USA teams to move up to the American would be very difficult as we saw within East Carolina, which has since struggled as it joined a a much more difficult conference in playing teams with more yeah. resources. The, the, the resource thing is, is tricky because you would assume that anybody that moves up at any level would increase their budget because they're going to get more money. I don't know what an American television deal is worth if you lop off Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. I mean, it's going to be better than Conference USA, probably not that much better. And the other thing that's been so fascinating to me about the American is I don't even know how I would describe an American athletic uh, uh, w- w- what the institutional profile of that school is, right? There's not really a, a geographic area. It's mostly Southern schools, but also Temple and also Texas and, and Kansas. It's mostly, uh, you know, regional second tier state institutions, but also has some flagships and Tulane, which is very different from everything else. It's mostly urban, but also has East Carolina. Like I, 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 there's not many other leagues, you know, maybe the WAC that are so spread out with the kinds of schools that are in there, which I, I would imagine trying to forecast any, what they're, who are they going to go in any direction would be challenging. At least with like, like the WCC, you know what a WCC school looks like. We know what a Big Ten school is. I have no idea what a Conference USA or an American school is other than they want to play Division One football. You know, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this is something you talk about all the time, which is what is the identity of your school and your conference. And if 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 you're with the American, it's essentially one that it's it's group of five school that has a big budget. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it compared to everybody else outside of your Boise's and a couple others, um, they just you know when they got when the Big East kind of fell apart. They lost Rutgers and Louisville and various things. They, they grabbed a lot of Conference USA schools, mixed them in with some leftover Big East, and you kind of got this hodgepodge of teams that were pretty good and had invested in football. And 10 years later, you're kind of seeing that. I'm curious, Chris, you know, you mentioned the playoff a little bit earlier and, and group of five schools, I, I think probably overwhelmingly so at, at certain levels, you know, depend on a lot of those buy games with the SEC foes, the ACC foes. In light of the talk of realignment, even in light of the talk about the SEC likely going to nine conference games or even beyond that, are are, are group of five schools maybe a little worried at at all about uh, scheduling in in the near future in this kind of new playoff era, especially with potentially these kind of super conferences at at the power five level? Yeah, that's the big concern about the future, not not specific realignment as much as consolidation fewer fewer buy games at some point do they simply break off what what is this constitutional convention november result in that that's where it's really you kind of get concerned about if you're going to get left behind and they'll always be there like you want like if you're a lower level sec school you want to play some sunbelt teams because you want to get some wins somewhere for the for the most part and so that money that money the buy game money combined with potential lower student enrollment and lower student fees, I think are some of the biggest concerns with athletic departments as it relates to future finances, along with the typical attendance. But but the things that could could change dramatically over the next five years could be stuff like student fees and, and buy games. 
Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned those two things. I, I feel like the, the Mac is is maybe in a more precarious situation than, than any, just at a university level. We, we've kind of seen this through some of their coaching changes recently. A few schools have, have changed over their athletic directors, even their presidents. What is kind of the state of the Mac right now? Because it does seem like as much as they've made progress on the field and, and uh, you know, have been able to put together some, some good teams over the last couple of years, it seems like they're, they're in a bit of a tricky spot going forward. Uh, given the, some of the limitations that they face from student enrollment, from student fees. And, and that's not even getting to what, what's happening on the football field. Well, I mean, Akron as a school closed like half the school or something like that last year with all the various colleges that they straight up shut down. So, yeah, that, that that's a big concern. It's the max a bit different because you have a lot of schools who have been together for a long period of time and they generally know what they are. They know they're the under-resourced schools. You can bust. You can bust to a lot of games, and they're okay with that. I, I mean, long term, do they fall farther behind in the resources with other conferences? Perhaps, but I don't think any of them, except for maybe a Buffalo, has dreams of getting that American invite or something bigger than that. I think they generally kind of know who they are, and because I mean, they've been a conference since 1946. Um, you, you're not seeing UCF and Marshall and Temple in there anymore. It's generally just that collection of Midwest schools. And, you know, they try to navigate it as best they can, but there's only so much you can do. On the, Speaking of the Mac, one of the, 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 the kind of feel-good stories over the last decade was Northern Illinois, which, which came in here as this really under-resourced football program, uh, one that, that still had a football tradition. And just ran rush shot over almost everybody else in that conference and was really competitive with, with some other high level teams. And now the wheels seem to have just completely fallen off. And I, I, I look at this league now, which seems like it might have more parity than just about any other league, not just in like FBS college football, but maybe even FCS college football too. The gap between like the third best team and the third worst team seems pretty, pretty small. And yet Northern, not only hasn't really been competitive, but doesn't project to be super competitive this year. Like what the hell happened beyond just coaching attrition? Yeah. I mean, speaking of that parody, 10 of the 12 teams have played in the Mac championship game in the last six years. That that's all, but two teams have played for the title. Akron made the title game three years ago and then they were winless. I think two years later or something like that. So yeah, the parody is real and it's hard to, jump out in that conference because they're all similarly resourced as to where things have gone downhill. Just it, it was, it was over time. I mean, Jerry kill uh, Joe Novak built it into a solid program kind of fell off at the end. Jerry kill came, built it back up again. Dave Doran was there two years, took him to the orange bowl and Rod Carey comes in and they, they win 12 games, win 11 games, but they started to decline by then eight wins, five wins, eight wins, eight wins. And fans were, some fans were happy to see him leave for Temple uh, when he did, but Thomas Hammett comes in. You know he he's he's been there. He's beloved by a lot of players, um, and he's doesn't have that coaching experience. And they got to kind of rebuild this roster, and they just haven't had an identity since then. They've scheduled very difficult too. They have some of the most difficult schedules, I think, in of all the G5. They're often playing three Power 5 opponents. I think they might again this year. I don't have a schedule in front of me. But um, the schedule's tougher, and they just haven't – They coaching – I mean, you mentioned coaching attrition. That's largely what it is. They just kind of haven't had 
someone in there who sends things in the right direction. You got to have the right, the, the max so often comes down to coaching and who you have. Cause you're all going to, you're all going to have kind of the same kind of yeah. player. You're, you're not going to get any four-star guys. It's all generally the same group of guys. So do you have the right coaches who can get the most out This of year, in case you were wondering, and if you're listening to this far in the podcast, I think you probably are. Northern Illinois plays at Georgia Tech, at Michigan, hosts Wyoming, and hosts Maine, who is um, pretty good as far as an, an FCS team and, and might and should be able to give them a real game there. Um, that's, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think... I'm trying to, uh, you know, one one of the few conference realignment changes that's impacted the MAC over the last couple of seasons was UMass. Played in there, played a couple of really, un, you know, very forgettable years. Doesn't want to put the, all of their sports in the MAC, so then they leave and they go independent and they they they're joined here by UConn and a handful of other uh, schools that would like to be in a league and aren't. And before the pandemic, I distinctly remember administrators at both UConn and UMass saying. We're not going to be the only ones. We're talking to other schools that are looking at going independent. It's not just the Texases and the USCs. There might be schools that are more of our peer level deciding to, to look, just put your five, six home games on Flow Sports and travel to, and barnstorm the country as a body bag game and like not using that language and, and maybe have a, a more financially stable life. Is that something you've heard over the last year from, from anybody else? Do you think that's a possibility that we might see a, a, a UTEP or a UTEP-like program decide to follow in, in UMass's footsteps? If it's someone, it's someone like that, because specifically because Conference USA's TV deal is so not helpful at all combined with the ridiculous travel costs you have in that league. Like it, it's, it's not going to happen in the MAC where, again, they're all – Right, similar programs they can drive to each other. That's all. That's all they want to do. But UTEP, they're they're a million miles away from everybody else, except for New Mexico and um, and uh, New Mexico State. I haven't heard it a bunch, but UTEP's a place that would make sense. I mean, if you look at to, to where Sun Belt's pretty comfortable where they are. The Mountain West is what they are. The Americans good, and, and, and the MAC is MAC is its own thing. UTEP stands out as one. Old Dominion was one you kind of thought about as well. I mean, they canceled their season um, last year, even though Conference USA went forward and and did it. And if they're the other one, the complete opposite direction, you have a lot of travel in that league. So um, I I think it's possible. I don't think long-term it's a good strategy. I I don't think you're really going to get anything out of it. I mean, Matt, you talk about all the time, like what is the purpose of your football team? Is it to – advertise the school is it to win like what is it if you're just getting beat up all the time i don't see much benefit out of that and i think that's what schools are considering if they're going to do something like that so the mac has a deal with espn plus sunbelt as well a lot of the group of five leagues have kind of joined in on the espn plus bandwagon i'm curious what is the state of group of five television and and their media rights and and how how these schools view their relationship with espn moving forward or anybody else it's interesting yeah, well, when the American did its deal a couple years back, I think it was a twelve-year deal. In it's it's something a, like that twelve-year deal, deal, man. A billion, yeah, a billion. It, it was a billion it was dollars. Very a lot of people thought that, that they that, got the headline set a billion dollars. Yes, we can leave it at that. <laughs> yes, that, yes, Aresco wanted that that one billion dollars, and we don't know what the details were after UConn left. But a lot of people said you don't want to get it caught in that position because things are changing so much. Look at the ACC right now. It, with that long ESPN deal that's now kind of hanging over them. 
Oresco tries to make the point that, hey, we have long-term security. We know we're going to be with the SPN. The Mountain West took a different approach. They did a six-year deal, I think, a year or two ago, and they split it with CBS and Fox. So they, they don't have any ESPN there. I think Boise's is with ESPN, though, for, for home games. So, you know, ESPN's consolidating and just kind of grabbing up everything they can college football. And I think there's a concern over how much control they have over the sport. What is the future of CBS, considering they're getting out of the SEC thing pretty soon? How committed is Fox to it? Um, Group of five football is the biggest problem is Conference USA. They fans absolutely hate their deal. They got some games on stadium. They got some games. They had one year where they were doing NFL Network, but apparently didn't do well enough that NFL Network wanted to keep it going. It was on BN um, for a minute, got some right? Like the, the, it was on yeah, BN yeah. Sports. I think Mountain West was on BN a little bit as well, but it's it's all over the place. And I honestly, I think one of the one of the pitches for the American is like hey, we're in one spot. Like, you don't need to figure out if it's CBS or Fox or Flow Sports or something else. Like, it's ESPN or it's ESPN Plus. It's pretty simple. And, you know, fans were upset about the time, but now you're seeing Big 12 games on ESPN Plus. You're going to see SEC games on ESPN Plus. It's where it's going. And just the group of five kind of had to deal with that first. One of the things that we've done in these conversations for for conference previews is not just look at some of the the more important football storylines, but also about some of the important administrators and people beyond coaching staffs. Who are some of the athletic directors or, or even presidents of, you know, people who are not conference commissioners, but, but folks who are involved in the administration of college athletics at this level that people should be aware of either because they might be in a position for bigger jobs or because they're, they're involved in big committees or they're, 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 they're pushing, they're, they're pushing the conversation forward in a different way. You know, Julie Cromer at Ohio is an interesting one. She's on a number of committees. Uh, she she pushes a lot there. She's she's really uh, smart. Got there a couple, I think maybe two years ago from, or something from like Arkansas, that. Arkansas, if I remember um, right. She's like she's not somebody who's like sixty yes. years old and has been doing this for a gajillion years. Yeah. Desiree Reed Francois was a big one at UNLV, although she just got the Missouri job, so she's technically not Group of Five anymore. But she's involved in a lot of things. Um, I think you see a lot of people come from that Missouri tree. You know, when that job opened, Missouri produces Missouri and Notre Dame produce like all the athletic directors, essentially. Uh, Ren, Ren Baker at North Texas comes up for a lot of jobs. Yeah. Um, at, and Brian Maggard at Louisiana as well. Um, those are a lot of the people you see looking at for, for the for the bigger ones. Uh, Mark Allnut is on. I think he's on the D1 council. At, he's from Buffalo. He's been there a couple of years as well. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look up those D1 Council Football Oversight Committee members, you see the ADs that are really kind of the ones handling a lot of these things. They're the ones who are going to get the bigger AD jobs, the, the Power 5 type stuff down the road. Those are, I think, some of the people that stand out to me. Well, and I don't know if if you wrote it, but you know Sean Sean Frazier at NIU uh, has been mentioned yes. a few times. He interviewed with Wisconsin, uh, came close to getting that job, and you know has has been a name floated for Michigan State, your alma mater. So. Yeah, he, he's he's a real leader in, uh, you know, the the lack of black coaches in sports is such an issue. And he's really been at the forefront for a lot of that. I mean, he hired a black coach, Thomas Hammock at, at NIU, and he's involved in a lot of those, whether they're panels, whether they're groups, advocacy groups. He is he is definitely he makes a lot of waves on that. He obviously wanted Wisconsin. He used to work there. We used to work for, for Barry, goes to somebody else. But he he's a guy. 
Um, there's a few people from Michigan State I think to watch for, and he'd be he'd be an interesting one. Is is there a, is there a coach or you know certainly at the group of five level here, Luke Fickle's name come up a lot for for bigger openings, but uh, among the coaches at, at the group of five level, is is there somebody that fans need to be aware of, and and maybe who's somebody you're more excited to to watch this season uh, with taking over his program? Well, I mean, he's not he's not an unknown, but Billy Billy Napier at Louisiana is going on, I think, his fourth year now. That 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 dude's built to be yeah, an SEC that, coach. It's and not it the hipster pick yet. anymore. It used to be like two years ago. Like, look, no, man, right. they're called the Rage and Cajuns, and they're right. like twenty eighth in SB plus. <laughs> no, listen, I liked them before they sold out. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the guy the guy was in his late twenties, he was a recruiting coordinator for Dabo at Clemson at one point, the, the offensive coordinator there, he worked for Nick Saban twice. And now he's got Louisiana regularly in that top 25 picture. Um, he's interviewed for several SEC jobs, just hasn't found the, the right one. He, he's a guy who's, who's, who's obvious. Jamie Chadwell jumped on the scene last year, finally with the big breakout year with Coastal Carolina. But I mean, he, he had a long track record at a lot of other places where he does a lot more with less. And he was the lowest paid coach in the country last year. At Coastal, he he got a new deal, wow. but I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you're Tennessee, I don't know how you don't hire that dude. His his, his kid is named after Heath Schuler. He plays an incredibly fun offensive style of football. And Josh Heupel is an offensive coach too, and all that. But he seemed like he'd be a great fit for for that job. Jamie Chadwell will be Coastal will have another big year. He will be in the mix for for a lot of big jobs as well. And then Sean Lewis is another one who was a hipster pick a couple years ago when he was the youngest coach in FBS. Now he's like 35. So he's like an old man, essentially. <laughs> and, and uh, Kent state um, should have a pretty good, they always have one of the best offenses in the country. Their quarterback came back. So Kent state's going to have another. What about, year. Um, what about Jay Norvell? Like th- th- this should be one of the best Nevada football teams in a minute. And they've got two P five teams on the schedule that I think are, are potentially beatable. Yes. Um, they and, and they got quarterback Carson Strong, who could be a first round pick next year. Nevada has been building. Jay Norvell's done a really good job there. They've won more games in the Mountain West than they ever had before. He's turned it around slowly. The only issue there is that they they keep losing a game maybe they shouldn't lose. They lost to UNLV, I think, twice in a row. They they led San Jose State at halftime last year, and then San Jose State at a big third quarter and and won that game and won the conference essentially out of that. So um he, Jay's been around the block. He's he's not the young hot shot guy like some of the other folks. He's but he's been at Arizona State. He's been at Texas. He's been at Oklahoma. He's been he's been everywhere. Dude, dudes from dudes from Chicago. I, I, he's, I want to say he, he was at Wisconsin for a minute. Like like wait, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think his I think he played there. His dad was his was there for a bit too. So um, he's another guy who should definitely be considered. Um, and and I, and I think will be for for bigger jobs because I think they'll have a big year. What what are you thinking in terms of the Gus bus going to UCF? I mean, I mean, I think in terms of everybody thinks, you know, you drop down from that power five, especially from an SEC gig, it's a little bit of a step back in your career. But I know the folks at UCF are, are fired up to, to be able to land a coach of that caliber, uh, certainly with, with the resume that Gus has been able to put together. What is this experiment going to be like in, in Orlando? I'm buying it long term. Hmm. I'm not sure about 2021 because I'm not sure how Dylan Gabriel is going to fit in that system. He, he's, a, he's a deep ball guy, throws a beautiful deep ball, big passing arm, and now they're coming into – it's going to be Gus's offense. He's calling the plays. He's never given up play calling again. And that often needs running quarterbacks. We've seen mixed results at Auburn with without that. So 
I don't know how 2021 is going to go, but they, he clearly has a vision in mind for that place that I think is going to work. And that involves recruiting well and grabbing a crap ton of power five transfers from other places. He's got he grabbed guys from Tennessee, from Notre Dame, Auburn. They added a ton of transfers this year. He's going to keep doing that. And it's going to follow the SMU model of get a lot of these Florida kids who maybe want to come back uh, to, to play at home. And I think it's going to work. You know, they, 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 they are moving forward in a big way. I'm just not quite sure how Dylan Gabriel is going to fit in that offense. The yet. recruiting part of Central Florida is so fascinating. And I don't know if it's because we, there's a whole generation of college football fans that you brought up on the video game. Uh, but there's there's this kind of idea that, listen, if you win a bunch of football games, your recruiting has to improve, right? Because then a whole generation of people then will be able to see that you're this more prestigious program, you're on TV all the time, and you would think that, that UCF would, would be in that kind of situation, right? It, I, I, I'm saying this not to be disrespectful. It's not Stanford. You don't need to have a 35 to get in on your ACT to get in. You're in a, a city that's blowing up. You're close to all kinds of good college football players, and you've been really good for several years, and yet they almost never sign a blue chip kid out of high school. And they generally don't even sign that many, like, you know, high three stars. They're not the best recruiting program in the American. I, I'm looking at the, the rankings right now. They're third. Um, and, and before that, they've, they've been they've been lower. And, you know, every year, Boise's in conversations for signing one or two. SMU's done it. Houston's done it. BYU does it occasionally. It, does that change now moving forward? Or is it still like the like you were saying, the, the, the best pathway is getting a – so some top 300 kids off the, the dent and, and, and scratch rent sale when they're coming back from transfers. Yeah, I, I mean, even the top recruiting group of five teams, the Cincinnati's, the Houston's sometimes, um, you, you might get one or two four-star guys in a class. Cincinnati's recruiting last couple of years has just in general been higher than group of fives typically ever are. I think it's, it's, a, it's a lot of that just it's a group of five school and – Kids like Power 5 stuff. I mean, we just did a big recruiting series a couple weeks ago at The Athletic where you just talked to a bunch of anonymous high school coaches. And Power 5 versus Group of 5 is a big deal to kids. And it's a big deal to parents who see it as they step down. So if you're a place like UCF, you try to get those kids, but you're also trying to get them for, hey, in two years from now, they want to come back, they remember you, and, and they'll come back a second time. Uh, when, when they've been through college a little bit. So I think that's definitely part of the strategy. They're, they're going to go heavy on transfers the way SMU and everybody is now starting to do it at the group of five level. And I, I think that's a good strategy. It's just going to take, take a couple of years. Let, let me ask you one last question, and then we'll let you go here, that we've asked for, for other people. Um, and it's, may, it's maybe more of an impossible question for you, given that your group is so large, but... Where do you what do you think the G five looks like in five years? Do you think that these like membership wise things are going to look different? Do you think that the that the high achieving G five programs are going to look substantially different? Is their role in college football substantially different um, given everything else that's going on right now? I think five years from now it's probably the same. You might have a couple American teams in the Big Twelve and a little bit of trickle down from there. And if that happens, the group of five will be lower than it had been, but people are going to still want, want these games on their schedule. They're still going to want to play you in various sports five years, you know, start of the 12 team playoff. I think things will be okay. Now, 10, 15 years. 
I think we're I, I mean I think we're heading down the road to either a super league or a couple of mega conferences that are generally controlling everything and, and taking everything for themselves. Uh, in in which case, then what happens to Group of Five? I don't know. That, that talking talking to people around the Group of Five that that's the real concern. It's the 10, 15 years from now. Where are you? But no athletic director is thinking 10, 15 years down the road anymore because they're all thinking about got to raise money now. This is going to help me get a bigger AD job and I go off to the next thing. So um, I think five years from now, not too dissimilar, but 10, when that next round of TV deals comes around for the SEC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12, that's when I think perhaps we see the seismic shakeup of the top programs eventually breaking off to do their own thing. Um, Chris, this has been really helpful for the, um, the for the, the three people that listen to our show and are not familiar <laughs> with where to find your stuff. Where can they go? Uh, just the athletic.com for everything uh, or my Twitter account at Chris Vanini has uh, everything there. Folks, if you want to understand what's going on with G5 schools or what's going on with dog rescues or what's going on with professional wrestling, you need to make sure that you're giving Chris a follow. I've learned quite a bit about all three from, from that's from the trifecta right there. That's the trifecta that right? every advertiser is looking for. Uh, everybody, <laughs> want, everybody wants to know. Absolutely. The, 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 the college football professional wrestling fan I, I, is an incredibly important demographic. Um, that's why we're all of subscription based outlets. Um, Chris, th- thank you again for your time. We'll catch up with you later. Okay. Yep. Thanks for having me guys. Um, I realize that I'm a big college football hipster, but what's going to happen with many of these G5 programs is legitimately one of the things I'm most excited to see on the field this coming year. You know, we, we addressed this a little bit, I think, when, when we talked with, um, with Bruce, but so many of these teams are returning so much experience. And there's a lot of limitations for what kind of what we can really glean from performances last season, particularly if you're like a fan of the of a Mac or a Mountain West team that only played three or four games. So not only do you have a blank slate, but you have a lot of experience, which which matters if you're going against some of the a, a younger team. So I think there's a real possibility for not just a team like a Louisiana or a Nevada or a Coastal to perform at a high level, but maybe somebody completely out of left field. And those are fun college football stories. I, I completely agree, and I think that really adds to the interest this this season you know across the spectrum is that the group of five that that gap between them and the power five especially at the top end of the power five that lost a lot of talent to the nfl it's probably as 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 small as it's ever been you know when you just think about the depth of the roster and that's going to be a big factor especially this season when you're talking about we're still dealing dealing with covid you know you're starting to see that uh, you know across professional sports as well um guys guys are going to get sick guys are going to get tested out if they you know obviously if they're they're vaccinated we're starting to to see some of the issues in terms of the leagues issuing their protocols um, yeah. I would imagine uh, those like the Mac and all that you're, you're going to forfeit games sure but uh, that can also affect your depth quite a bit going into the game even if you have enough numbers um, you know, if you lose a starter here and there and you're playing one of these group of five teams that is, is prepared have been playing together for three or four years and, and do have that experience factor I, I think it's going to lead to quite a few upsets you know during the season and everybody's excited too to get fans back and, and I think that more than anything is going to help a lot of these group of five programs as, as well the, the ones that can actually count on having relatively full stadiums un- unquestionably like making comparisons with college basketball is always a huge 
uh, you do that at your own risk, right? Because there, there's such massive differences between two sports. We see this every year, both in postseason tournaments and during the regular season. A team that is less talented but is full of seniors who have been playing together for a long time and have a lot of chemistry going against very talented NBA-bound underclassmen, the seniors win. And in college football, that doesn't happen as often because the experience bonus that you get is dissipated over a larger roster. But this is going to be with, with COVID super seniors and with depth issues and with, you know, throwing last year completely out the window. It, it, it I, I think you're right. I imagine we would have seen a lot more upsets last year had those out of conference games actually happened. There's so many other like factors that you can't really account for this year. Yeah. It's a safe bet. Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio state, Clemson, they're going to be real good, but are could Louisiana beat Texas? Yeah. Could, could, could we see some some delightful – could we see like a rerun of like the Georgia State beating Tennessee kind of situation? Sure. And I hope we do because I personally thought that was hilarious. And, and I think it's going to be fascinating not just to get that that non-conference games back. You know, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what, what are these group of five programs, you know, doing in terms of the realignment front, in terms of the coaching carousel, in terms of just raising money because a lot of them – a lot of their schools themselves faced a lot of outside pressure uh, from the COVID, COVID uh, year that they're, they're going to have to be making up a, a lot of things and they're going to be doing some, some unique things on the f- football field and off of it this season. Yeah, the, the most – I don't think last year was very fun. The most fun part was the BYU Coastal game that was invented, you know, 36 hours before the game actually happened, featuring two completely different offenses and and way more teal than you would expect in a typical college football game. Uh, It was weird. It did not have a ton of NFL talent on the field, and it was still great. I'm looking forward to seeing something like that coming up for this season. Um, we've got a couple more conference previews headed uh, headed before we kind of wrap everything up here. Um, we have a bunch more interesting stories coming here on Extra Points. A lot more uh, uh, conference realignment news. If it hasn't already been published, it'll be publishing soon. Um, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to break what happens to the Big 12. I might be the guy that, that breaks what happens three leagues below the Big 12. So make sure that you're following along to ExtraPointsMB.com. Brian, where can we find you? As usual on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. The, the season is here, so uh, he's excited to, uh, to get back into things and uh, jump, jump back into to not only college football, but uh, the rest of the sports that are going on. We have a ton of things that uh, are happening, and that's always the best place to find my work. Yeah, let's, let's, we'll top off here because um, there's German soccer happening right now, and I want to make sure that Brian's able to devote the rest of his attention to that. Um, but uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Matt. That's Brian. We'll be back in touch with you soon. Thanks for listening. 